Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, unwanted pets and relatives, it's Mr. Palumbo, and welcome to the Professor Liberty Podcast, where we strive to share the ideas of freedom, the value of knowledge, and the drive for personal character to the 20 or so people and their houseplants listening to this podcast today. You know, I would love to say, I would love the intro to be something like this. Here at Professor Liberty, where we are for truth, justice, and the American way. But that's Superman's thing. Well, it used to be Superman's thing before he got all woke. Anyway, I was doing some research, and they said to enhance your podcast and make it more dynamic, maybe do series, a series where the podcasts all have a theme. So today we're going to start a new series, and it's called The First Americans. And we're going to dive into the study of some of America's native indigenous tribes. We're going to dive into their history, their culture, and their customs. So we'll start this series with a little introduction. So today is just going to be an introduction. And it's going to be regarding native and European relations, or shall we say lack thereof. Here at Professor Liberty, we strive to stress a more inclusive perspective of American history. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to start blaming the white man for everything, but we are going to not be afraid to stress the tragedies, the darker sides, and yes, even the sins of our past. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, history is not black and white. History is not a straight line. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a movie uh, plot. It's not an easy story. History is complex, and therefore, trying to find the answers or trying to find the reasons for things is also complex. The Europeans are not all evil, and the natives are not all innocent. If we want to be serious students of history, we have to resist that simple black and white narrative where all people, just like today, say, well, this happened and this happened. But you know, People make good decisions and people make bad decisions. There are good people. There were good people a hundred years ago. There were bad people a hundred years ago, just like today. The reason some people don't want to study history further and get a more comprehensive uh, idea is because it goes against their narrative. A lot of people out there pushing very simple historical narratives often have an agenda. They have an agenda that they're making money on. They have an agenda that keeps us separated. They've got an agenda that that lifts up whatever they're trying to, whatever they're preaching, whatever they're selling. That's why people don't want to look at history with a more critical eye. But that's what we do here at Professor Liberty. So to begin this series called The First Americans, the episode is going to be called The Clash of Worldviews. Now, I've studied the interaction with European settlers and the natives for some time. You know, I've grown up watching the old westerns, and I was always intrigued with the Indians. They looked cool. They had the war paint on. Their horses had the war paint on. They had really cool weapons made from animal parts. They they were rugged. They were brave. They knew the land. Um, They spoke a strange language. They communicated differently, right? And, and they were just a very interesting group of people. You know, and, I, and I'm from the West, 
And I live in the Southwest. And I have to tell you, Native American culture is almost everywhere. But before moving back to the lower 48, that's what Alaskans call the rest of the country, I remember visiting the Anchorage Museum in downtown Anchorage, Alaska. I actually have been there a few times since we lived in Anchorage. And I've also been to the Native Heritage Center, which is still in Anchorage, but it's a little further up the road. You know, these places have some great exhibits and tons of artifacts from the Native cultures there. And boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, when, when, when we get out of this COVID and the lockdown starts to go away, I recommend take your kids to museums. It is such a fascinating place, and it lets children's imaginations run wild. It's, it, it, there's so many exhibits that you can touch things, and there's so many interactive exhibits nowadays. It's not just looking at statues. Museums are very dynamic today, and I recommend that you go to one. But, you know, as I was looking at these exhibits, I couldn't, I couldn't help but look at the detail and the craftsmanship of the tools, the clothing, the other structures. It was just amazing. You know, I, I kept thinking in my head, man, that must have taken a lot of time. You know, today, everything we wear came from a machine. No, no, uh, no talent was needed. No effort was put in. It was all from a giant machine. And if you think about it, if you made your own clothes, think about how much pride and effort you'd have in those clothes. Uh, and I, you can tell that many Native cultures took a lot of pride in their clothing. Well, I think it was around the summer of 2016 that my real quest for figuring out why the conflict between white settlers and Natives seemed unsolvable and inevitable. We hear all this talk about genocide today, and all of the blame is on the white settlers. And to be honest, there are some examples that you could probably define uh, genocide. The Wounded Knee Massacre comes to mind. But even that incident, uh, not all the facts are clear. And we have to really be careful throwing words around like genocide, okay? The, the, the Nazis and their handling with the Jews... And the Holocaust, that is genocide, a systematic, concerted effort to kill a group of people. Did that happen in the United States? I think to some degree, yes. But was it a concerted, steady, consistent effort to do so? I don't think so. I think if you want to say something committed genocide, it was the diseases that came over from Europe that wiped out most of the native population. And so anyway, I'm wrestling with this question, and I was also in the middle of taking this multicultural course for my teaching credential, and on top of that, I was reading a book called Empire of the Summer Moon, which talks about the Comanche Indians in Texas and Western expansion. Great book, by the way. I highly recommend it. I forget the author's name, but if you're interested in Native American history and Western expansion, it's really good. Look it up, Empire of the Summer Moon. So anyway, here I am sitting in the museum, thinking about the clash of cultures between European settlers and natives, taking my multicultural class, which is basically, it's all white people's fault, and reading this book. And all of this was in the back of my mind. I kept asking myself this question. What caused the endless conflict between the American Indian 
and their white counterparts? I pondered that question for a few weeks. I read in the book how there was an endless cycle of retaliation. For example, the whites would move too far into Comanche territory. This was against the wishes of the government, by the way. These frontier people would go out and there would be a, a, a line of forts, kind of like a loose border, and the white settlers would move past that border. And they would just go out in the middle of nowhere and build a cabin and start a ranch, right? And they would, they would be in Comanche territory. Now, if you do any real study of Native American history, you'll see that not all Native tribes were loved and adored. And the Comanche had a reputation of being aggressive and being very uh, hostile even to other Indian tribes. And so the Comanche would retaliate against these white frontiersmen that would go out and, and build you know, cabins on their, on their land, right? And they would show no mercy. I mean, they would do horrible things like chop off body parts. Uh, they, they treated men and women the same. They would chop off women's body parts. They, would, uh, they wouldn't bury their victims. And you got to think, um, you know, when the, when the white, when other whites saw this, that's why they called them savages. That's why they called them barbaric. Because to a Victorian era white person, these things are horrific. And let's be honest, it's still pretty horrific today. If someone chops up another person, we're going to think, man, that was barbaric, right? But now let's flip it around to the Comanche, because of the worldview and the culture, to the Comanche, that was completely fine. That was completely within the bounds of appropriate behavior because the whites were trespassing. But we can already see a clash of cultures, right? This kind of, this kind of irreconcilable difference of views, okay? And so the Comanche would do these horrible things to the white settlers. And then what do you think the other white people did? Well, they would go out and find those Indians that were responsible for these horrific uh, acts and they would kill them. Okay, well, then they got killed, so now the Indians got mad, and then they would kill more white people. And this cycle just went on and on and on. So anyway, I finally had a revelation. The worldview of these two groups were completely incompatible, like oil and water. This isn't like two European cultures with, uh, you know, with a land dispute, you know, or a war, like a, a war in Europe where... You know, even even European countries share some foundational cultural history. No, no, these two civilizations, especially the Plains Indians and the white settlers, were so far away from each other. I mean, they're pretty much on the other side of the spectrum as you can get. Most scholars believe or they'll share that the Plains Indians specifically were at a Stone Age technology level. I mean, their, their society was Stone Age. Now, I'm not putting them down when I say that. I'm not saying they're idiots. I'm not saying they're stupid. Sometimes when we say, well, that's Stone Age, it kind of means, you know, we're kind of putting somebody down. No, literally, their technology level and their society, dem, you know, whatever you want to call it, the society uh, dynamics were Stone Age. So that's how far these two societies were from each other. It's almost like, you know, aliens coming from space and visiting us. I mean, just the technology and the society structure, it's just completely different. 
And this gets into anthropology, guys, and I, I, I find it fascinating. I don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, there is a difference in cultures and society if a culture is nomadic versus if a culture is sedentary. And of course, this isn't speaking for all Native American tribes in America, right? Many East Coast tribes were uh, dynamic and they had very complex technologies and complex uh, economies and politics and governments and things like that. Uh, you know, so. It has something to do with, are you a nomadic society or are you a sedentary society? I mean, let's not forget, it was the native tribes that helped the pilgrims survive their first winter. Okay, so these these tribes are very uh, advanced in their knowledge of agriculture and, and things like that. So now I want to go back to why I call this episode the clash of worldviews. We could say it's a clash of civilizations, which it clearly is. These are two civilizations uh, slamming into each other. But I wanted to use the word worldview. What is a worldview? It is how you see the world. And I'll get into this a bit later. But my point is clearly the natives and the Europeans' worldviews were completely incompatible. How do we know this? Well, it's not an isolated issue just in the United States. Native and European clashes happened all over the New World, from Canada to Mexico to the Caribbean to South America. So this was a uh, across-the-board issue clash of worldviews. So, so let me get back to my revelation. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting near an exhibit in the Anchorage Museum, and I think it was actually the history of the Alaska pipeline. I was sitting right next to an exhibit about the pipeline. And I was thinking about the issue and, ta and, and I was taking it all in. And I realized that it really came down to the land. Let me say that again. The land. The native view and the European view of land and what is its purpose. Now follow me here. That is the core incompatible issue. If you look at it broadly, Native American tribes are people just like Europeans are people, right? They're, we're not some weird aliens. We're all people. And Native Americans had their own governments. They had their own traditions. They had their own religion. They had their own economies. And Europeans had this too, right? Heck, Native Americans even had their own borders and concept of country and land, right? The borders might be a little more fluid than a European nation state. But they had that too. The main difference is the natives' view of land. I'd like to read from a quote from Chief Joseph of the Ness Pierce Indian tribe. And he was giving this speech to a white audience in Washington, D.C. in 1879. He said it this way, and since I can't say it any better, we'll just go with him. He says, we were like deer. They were like grizzly bears. We had a small country. Their country was large. We were contented to let things remain as the great spirit made them. They were not. They would change the river and the mountains if it did not suit them. I actually have a, this was based off a lesson. So if you guys are interested in getting more of this speech, go to teacherpayteachers.com and look at the primary sources assignment. Chief Joseph gives a speech to a white audience, 1879. 
But anyway, you guys, this is the core issue. I will stand on this core issue. Notice, now, of course, he's giving a speech, and he's trying to win over some sympathy, so he might be a little dramatic with, you know, their innocent deer and the white folks are big, nasty grizzly bears. But I don't even want to really worry about that. I want to show you what he said about we were contented. That means they were okay with, they were fine with. We were contented with letting things remain as the great spirit had made them. They were not. So the white people were not. They would change the rivers and the mountains if it did not suit them. Well, there it is, folks. That's the key to the puzzle. The native's view regarding land versus the white view was the natives were okay with living with it, being a part of it, not um, you know, living with the seasons, moving with the seasons, being, and I don't want to say being one with the earth and we're going to get this kumbaya, you know, tree hugger stuff. But the Indians did not see themselves, or let me put it this way, they did not see the land as something to be harvested or invested or, or moved or changed. Of course, they changed it and they built houses and they cut trees down, but it was only as based on what they needed. They didn't have profit as we think of profit, right? But let's look at the Europeans. The Europeans are influenced by mercantilism. They're influenced by the Enlightenment thinkers, such as Adam Smith, as well as others. And they believed that the land was there to invest in. The land is for mining for resources, cutting down trees, laying railroad tracks, building cities, growing food. To the European, the earth was there to work and develop to gain wealth. So this begs the question, right? Which worldview is right? Now, because the natives lost and they've suffered greatly, we've been conditioned to think that they were the virtuous losers, right? The evil white people and their capitalism, they're the villains. Remember, in this black and white simple narrative, that's where you're going to go. And that's what you're being taught in school. I submit to you that neither worldview is necessarily right or wrong. In the regards to the natives losing, that's more of a power thing. The whites had the numbers, the weapons, the natives did not. One thing I do know is these two worldviews cannot coexist next to each other. They cannot live in the same space. You can't have, for example, let's just let's just make up a little analogy here. You can't have two neighbors and they both live on land that has a lot of natural resources. You can't have one neighbor that seeks to mine for these resources, to build a business, to to gain wealth, to to gain profit, right? And sell these resources And you can't have his neighbor uh, just wanting to live there. He's got a little RV and he just lives there and he doesn't want to do anything with it. What do you think the guy, what do you think greed might do to the guy next door? I can't believe this guy is just sitting on all of that oil. He's sitting on all of that coal. He's sitting. He's not doing anything. And this is the whole point of railroads, right? Why do we call you got railroaded, right? Railroads would go in and buy land or force you off the land because they needed to make a track, right? 
So again, white people did this to other white people because the the economic theory is land is there to make a profit. So we have to be careful when people talk about, well, the white people, all they did was abuse the Indians. No, they did it to themselves too because that was the overarching philosophy of the time. Well, uh, how come they can't just... You know, Mr. Palumbo, they stole the land, Mr. Palumbo. You know that the natives were there first, Mr. Palumbo, and the white people came in and stole the land. Okay, I'd like to address this common punchline. I remember seeing a, a meme a long time ago. I saw this meme, and it had an Indian. He had the, he had the headdress on, and it had a velociraptor. <laughs> okay? And they kept staring at each other in this meme. And finally, you get down to the end of the meme and it says the, the velociraptor, the dinosaur, is saying, get off my land. As a history guy, I really appreciated that because you realize that if you go back far enough, I often say this. I don't think I coined this term, but I often say this. If you go back far enough, it's always someone else's land. You no, know, there's a there's a common thing like a lot of uh, a lot of uh, Hispanic people, a lot of Mexican people will say, the United States stole Mexico's land. They need to give it back to Mexico. Okay. Well, if we're going to go with that line of thinking, shouldn't Mexico give their land back to Spain? Shouldn't Spain give the land back to the Aztecs? So you see this whole idea of we were here first, it, it doesn't really hold up historically. So what I'm trying to share today, boys and girls, about my revelation is that the two worldviews we're not compatible, and we see that throughout the New World. This is not just a United States issue. There were some voices, there were some white voices advocating for the Indian cause, but they were in the minority. Manifest destiny, cheap land, gold fever would all be too strong of a temptation, and the Native Americans would eventually be uh, driven from all of their ancestral lands. So there you have it, folks. Clash of worldviews. I hope uh, this made sense. This is where this is where I'm going to place the flag. I think it was an inevitable thing. It's sad. I mean, it is sad, but it's inevitable that the two worldviews uh, would not coexist. And then it comes down to power, boys and girls. Who's got who's got the bigger gun? If you look at history, a lot of the victors have the bigger gun. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you liked this podcast, please give me a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to email me, the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. If you're interested in some of my lessons, please go to teacherpayteachers.com. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty. Liberty.